Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on I on uh, Instagram. I'm also on the Instagram <laughs> at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. So if you want to support us, you can at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie. And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons: Chris Balga, Jeff Widman, Michael Cross, and Philip Barker. Thank y'all so much for keeping the lights on and if you do subscribe if you do give to the patreon you get a bonus episode of just my weekly ramblings (laughs) on the other stuff that i'm watching movies tv and whatnot so yeah um and we also have a teespring if you want any i love that movie swag a discord and a facebook group and we've got a website i love that movie podcast.com and lastly if you guys like what you hear today please subscribe and rate the show it does help new listeners find us um, and I have a returning guest, a familiar voice on the podcast, uh, my good pal, Courtney. Say hi, Courtney. Hello, everyone. So nice to see you again. <laughs> yes, Courtney, uh, introduce yourself a little bit in case people haven't heard your other episodes. Well, if you're new to me and I'm new to you, my name is Courtney. I also go by Victoria Bain on the interwebs. I am a cosplayer. I also do wig commissions. Are pretty darn good if I do say so myself. Uh, you can find me on <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Vicky Bain, and also on Twitter at Vicky B- Victoria underscore Bain. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but who uses Facebook anymore? So <laughs> uh, those two will probably be the best way to reach me if you're looking for anything like that. So good yeah. to good to be here again. Yeah, awesome. Um, and Courtney has been on several times, uh, usually horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I don't think we've done one selection that's not a horror movie, and this nope. is no different. <laughs> nope. So no um, if, if this is your first time tuning in, uh, typically my guest selects the movie, we watch it, and then we talk about it. So Courtney, what movie did you select to talk about today? Today's movie is a near and dear favorite of mine. It's called Session Nine. Yes. And it um, is a doozy. It is. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's one of those movies that is really under the radar. Yeah. In fact, for a little while, we, we actually postponed this episode because we've wanted to do this before, but they removed it from a lot of streaming platforms, so yeah. we couldn't really... You just wanted it to be a little more accessible when we did the mm-hmm. episode, which is nice of you. Um, but... It's back on Netflix for free, so if you, I mean, it's not free, you pay for Netflix, but it's on Netflix right now if you want to go see it. Uh, This movie came out in 2001, and like we said, it's it's a horror that not everyone has seen, but if you have, I feel like you're a big fan of. Oh, yeah. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Um, 
when was the first time you saw this? Man, I want to say, geez, I want to say it was like maybe 2009. I know I was still like living in my old apartment and it was like, I, <laughs> it was one of those times <laughs> where I had like, I was at my old job and so my schedule was just like Monday through Thursday. So I had like three whole days to just do nothing. And I remember watching it and then I remember watching it like, all day <laughs> <laughs> this like, is, I, I don't think I knew that that's interesting that I've watched it so many times too and not I don't know that we made that connection <laughs> well I kind of I kind of try to not like talk about stuff like that because it makes me seem like <laughs> weird because I like like seriously like I watched it the one time and then that was like like I just had it on repeat the rest of the day because it was so like captivating to me and, because it was so such a it was so different like it wasn't yeah. I, I I feel like I say that a lot <laughs> in a lot of the episodes but it was so different than some anything that I had like seen recently so I was like mm-hmm. man that was good and like I kept watching it to like like pick up on any like missed cues that I that were there or like you know any little hints and nods and stuff like that like I wanted to be like fully immersed in it before I like you know like <laughs> told people about it <laughs> so that yeah, I'd be like so I, I watched this movie and uh yeah, you might want to check that out. So it's pretty nuts. <laughs> um, yeah, this came out in 2001, and I want to say probably around the time I saw it was maybe around then, too. I, I honestly can't remember. Yeah. I feel like I just see so many movies that they start to kind of... Run together. Yeah, and so I've seen this one many times. I know you, me, and Nick have talked about it a lot in particular, mm-hmm. Like, and um, we've tried to turn other people on to it. Um, and yeah, it's just a really good movie. So without going any further i am going to read the synopsis and i will tell you guys if you're listening for the first time again this is not spoiler free so please go yeah. watch this first because we're not going to say like okay spoilers it's like all no, spoilers we're so. just jump we're just going to jump we're right just in. Gonna jump in so here is the synopsis a tale of terror begins when a group of asbestos removal workers start work in an abandoned insane asylum the complex of buildings looms up in the woods like a dormant beast grand, imposing, abandoned, deteriorating. The residents of Danvers, Massachusetts steer well clear of the place, but Danvers State Mental Hospital closed down for 15 years, is about to have five new visitors. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. Pretty basic I mean, that's uh, pretty... Plot. <laughs> that's... I mean, yeah, like, that. I, I like that synopsis because it doesn't give too much and it kind of sets the scene about where they're... Because, I mean, like... And I kind of... I kind of have like a not a problem with but like I kind of wish people would like steer a little bit farther away from like insane asylum tropes but this one is done in such a way that it's not focusing on that specifically well I think that a lot of times it's so heavy-handed yeah it's like the same I don't know like the same all the same problems you Mm -hmm. know all the same notes are played and you're like this again but this one is like it it's, taking place in a mental health hospital has real meaning to the story later. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a lot of times it's just like a spooky setting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just like, oh, what does this have to say about our mental health system? And you're like, like really? You're going to like, okay, like usually when we want to talk deeply about mental health issues, we don't like have like spooky ghosts. and You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. No. You know, if you're going to go there, then really go there. And I feel like this movie does that in a yeah. better way than a lot of other movies do. Like, I feel the same way. 
Like it's truly unsettling and not just like, oh, I saw a spooky, you know, somebody in the elevator. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not based on like the spooks that happen in the asylum per se, but it's right. about the spooks that happen. I guess it's kind of hard to like put it into words. Like the, the scares are from the humans versus the location. Yeah, it's like, it's truly unsettling. Mm -hmm. It's psychologically disturbing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just like jump scares. Right. Um, one of the, the, you know, quick facts that I have, I've only got like two, but mm -hmm. one of them is that this was one of the first feature films uh, shot using Sony's 24 HD camera, Whoa. which shoots uh, at 24 frames per second, like film as opposed to the 30 frames per second of a conventional NTC NTSC video. Mm -hmm. Man, my words are like all over the place today. <laughs> using this technology, Brad Anderson and director of photography um, Uta Braceswitz were able to produce the unique effect of deep focus images using mostly natural light. Yeah, that's that's so important in this because like the ambiance, the overall feel and look of it is so like, like it's just always spooky. There's it's always a little bit like you know dark, in a way. Yeah. It's always kind of got that like foreboding to it. Well, there's not like a filter, you know, yeah. like I think a lot of movies in 2001, yes. there's like this blue light or yellow light and there's like but green this one, it just, added. Yeah, it just happens naturally because that's just that's just how it is. Yeah, it's HD. You know, it's yeah. not like they're trying to like obscure anything and there's stuff in the shadows. Um, and also, I didn't write this down, but I had read that there's not really a lot of sets in the movie. It's actually mm -hmm. that location. Mm hmm. Um, it, it is a mental hospital and um, and it, it was decaying. Of course, it doesn't have all these like spooky stories that you hear in the movie right. attached to it, but it was a location. I think either Anderson or um, the writer that wrote it with him, that's one of the characters in the movie, um, drove by it every day and was like, hey, we should shoot something there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much what ended up happening. I, I really like it when that happens, when there's like actually an organic place that these take place in instead of like it being just a set. Not to say that there's anything wrong with shooting a movie like that on a set, but Oh, it's, sure. It's just, I'm... <laughs> so I'm like a sleut for practical. <laughs> and so when it's like an actual location, when there's like actual like ghouls or whatever like people in suits versus like cg not to, again not to say that i'm against any of that but when it's no, like but I know really mean, there yeah. when it's really there i really get into it well some of the imagery in brookhaven hospital is in the konami game silent hill 3 yes which is inspired by this movie and it's weird because like just a few weeks ago uh <laughs> i had uh samuel Sanner on to talk about jacob's ladder yeah which also inspired Silent Hill. So yes. in this movie, especially like the peeling walls and mm -hmm. there's just like little details in the background that feel so authentic. And that's why I feel like those games, the atmosphere that they're able to create and like this oh, movie, yeah. it's very psychological um, and also like Jacob's Ladder, you know, mm -hmm. so it's just interesting that little connection that's with all three of those things. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I, I love stuff like that so much. Um, 
I really liked the um, that one room that's in it with, with all the writing over it, like the yes. pictures that the, the all the photographs that are like plastered on the wall and whatnot. It's that so it's so <laughs> oh, it like it gives you chills the first time you see it, and then oh, my favorite, like just. <laughs> Not to jump too far ahead, but like no, the way they, they the way that they bring it back at the very end. Yes, so satisfying. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> nice, nicely done. All right, yeah, I loved that. That was sick. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy that directed this, Brad Anderson, and and wrote it, uh, co-wrote mm-hmm. it. He also directed The Machinist. Mm-hmm. which we both love and trans-siberian which i also like i feel like he hasn't done a lot lately no. when i was looking through his imdb like he shot a couple episodes of the show titans but other than that like some tv stuff here and there yeah it, i think it, like the director he had done like some romantic comedies before or there's something like that before this and then, like, this was, like, his right. first, like, official, like, horror movie. And, I mean, for a first go, brilliant. Such a good idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other guy that I keep alluding to is Steven uh, Gavedin, who plays uh, Mike. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of cool, too. Yeah. He's in it. So, um, yeah, I really like his films. I highly recommend those other two that I suggested. I think The Machinist is, like, the one oh, that yeah. everybody remembers the most. Um, but uh, Trans Siberian too, I think, was good. Mm-hmm. He's really good at like building up the tension and then mm-hmm. having like a dramatic twist that's actually satisfying at the yeah. end. You know, yes. like this movie could have been really, I don't know, straightforward and corny, but it's complicated. And I think they throw enough kind of not total red herrings, but I think they throw you off enough. They definitely a few times with do. The plot. They to where you're like looking around like who is yeah. it going to be about you know yeah yeah absolutely like they definitely keep you off the trail pretty pretty good yeah um, so um the cast i mean david caruso obviously is like mm-hmm. probably the biggest name of the cast so the rest of them, I'm not super familiar with their work. Are you? No. I, I, honestly, I don't know that I've seen any of them. Like, David Crusoe is else? like, wait, what the hell? Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of the other actors in anything else, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it looks like the guy, um, Paul Gilfoyle. Like, he's maybe the most recognizable, because, like, when I look at his IMDb, I'm like, okay, I do know yeah. who that is. Yeah. Um, but he's not in it a ton. Yeah. Um, I think he's in it. Isn't he just like the he's like the caretaker? Yeah, you just see him for a little bit, so he's not yeah. even. Yeah, so it's like not a big cast, really. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah, the the other guy, Josh Lucas, he's in a few things too. But yeah, it's like I guess my point is we're probably not going to focus that much on the cast as we will on the scenes themselves. Yeah. <laughs> um. So why don't we do that? Why don't we yeah. talk a little bit about some of your favorite scenes? <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> I know it's re- it's exciting. I like this movie. Like literally, I think one of my it's super early in the in the movie when they're first like getting the tour and like, you know, there's that hallway, that empty long hallway and Gordon is in the hallway just kind of like staring down and it's like dark. And he yes. hears that he hears that voice. 
hello gordon and i'm like what? oh boy oh man <laughs> it's like what 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 was that what the heck is that like you don't know what it is you don't yeah they don't expand on it at all and you don't figure out what it is until like session nine of the tapes that um like oh, sorry <laughs> it's just one of those no, situations good. where it's just like it, it was so like it was so freaking crazy like mike is listening to the tapes and then he gets to the ninth tape and finally you figure out what that is and you're like holy shit <laughs> <laughs> oh with simon yes yeah so like okay so it's like we've got a couple things going on in this movie at the same time number mm-hmm. one you know there's a few guys that are coming for asbestos removal some of them really get along some of them do not mm-hmm. but then we've got that side plot of um yeah is that his name's mike the, the mm-hmm. one well no there's mike a younger the... guy too that's listening to the tapes is, is that mike mike is the one that's listening to the tapes. that's yes. right okay so um mike's listening to the tapes and you know, we start getting this side plot of, like, something spooky happened here with these tapes. We don't know why he feels so compelled to, like, gather them and listen to them in the first place, mm-hmm. but he keeps sneaking off to, like, listen to them. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't tell any of the other guys, like, why. Like, he keeps and, coming up with excuses to go down there and listen to them. Yeah, and I think for a while you're like, you know, oh, well, maybe this place is haunted, and maybe, you know, it's drawing him to this thing and it's gonna take him over and then he's gonna be crazy but then you've got you know david caruso's character who phil. you know is a little off yeah phil mm-hmm. he's and like then oh go ahead butting heads with hank and hank is like this super huge douchebag who happens to be <laughs> dating like I, I never really knew if they were it was like phil's ex-wife or just his ex-girlfriend or like fiance or whatever but like hank is like hooked up with phil's ex and there's like tension there and so there's that point where it's like okay what's gonna happen between these two because they're literally at each other's throats like the whole time yeah and they've also promised that they can do this like impossible job of you know removing all the asbestos from this giant mental health facility and because it's like sprawling yeah large um in a week yeah a job that should take i think he said three to four weeks or two Mm -hmm. to three weeks two to three yeah, and, and we all know, you know, contractors say, yeah, I'll do it in two, and it's going to be like five, right? Mm-hmm. So you're just thinking this is something that would be very challenging to um, to accomplish. Um, so they're going to do it in a week. So there's already pressure there. It's like super hot outside. They're not in great conditions. And then two of the guys are at each other's throats. And it's just stress on stress on stress on stress. Yeah, and there's something like... It feels very, like, isolated, like, the mood and then the creepiness of the place, kind of. I know I bring up this example a lot, but it's just the most popular one and one of my favorites is, like, it's kind of like The Shining because it's, Mm -hmm. like, they're in there and it's, like, spooky sometimes and they're seeing things and hearing things and you start to feel like the place is, like, evil and it's going to make them violent and turn on each other and you're just kind of waiting the whole movie for that to happen and Mm -hmm. then... It kind of does. It just unfolds in a completely different way than what you're expecting. But there were enough context clues to, like, give you the answer. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, which answer do you pick, you know? Yeah. 
absolutely like it's it, it's so good at that it's so good at that like just kind of like throwing you off in different directions until you finally reach the final you know climax of the situation and figure out oh this is what happened and like i think another one of my more favorite scenes is when hank like so okay Hank has been down in, like, the tunnels of this particular area, like, marking off what um, pipes need to be cleared out. Yeah. finds in the wall, like, all of these, like, old-ass silver coins and, like, just different artifacts. (laughs) He finds, like, this, like... And then, like, one of the last things he finds in there is, like, a pipette for, like, lobotomies. And he's like, oh shit, like, he realizes the value of all of this stuff. And, like, this is, like, stuff left over, hidden from, like, the crematorium. And so he hides it. And yeah, that's back. the grisly part of it, is that it's obviously from, yeah. like, people that were killed, like, incinerated yeah. there. Yeah. And so this this asshole <laughs> goes back at night and under the cover of darkness to go retrieve his riches and he's starting to like get spooked he's hearing noises he's seeing shadows and like he's coming down this hall or this long corridor and he's like hauling ass and then the screen just goes black and you don't know what happened and then the next day you see the guys are waiting around they don't know where hank is they're trying to figure out where hank is so Phil calls Amy, his ex, Phil's, or, yeah, Phil's ex, Hank's current girlfriend, to try and figure out where the hell Hank is. And, like, you see this conversation. Well, yeah, you see this conversation happening. You only hear what Phil's saying. Yeah. And Phil is like, Amy said that he broke up with her because he found his meal ticket. And it's like, you know, okay, that's plausible. It's like, you know, they don't know what happened that night. But right, we know right. what happened, but do we really know what happened? And so that becomes like a sticking point later on because Jeff, the young guy, the youngest guy, I think he's Gordon's nephew. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I believe so. He's he's out like by himself later on and he sees Hank. And like he's like, What the fuck? And like Hank is like in the stairwell, just like talking to himself, and he runs out and he's like, Guys, I found Hank. And they're like bullshit (laughs) and so like he has to like convince them to go come with him and of course once they get there hank's gone and like phil is enraged because he's like i told you what happened and gordon is like no we didn't hear that conversation you told us what amy said but we didn't actually hear this conversation and so their animosity becomes like kind of like a, a point of suspicion because hank is missing we don't know what he actually said to Amy if he even called her. Yeah. But then Gordon's got a motive to stick it to Phil because Phil revealed to um to Mike. Mike, yeah, sorry. I don't know why I can't keep this. No, it's okay. He he reveals to Mike that um you oh, know yeah. that Gordon hit his wife because Gordon has like this really hard moment where he's like you know, I hit my wife and like, I don't know why I would do that. And, you know, I'm just, ha- I'm just so stressed. I need this job. I'm under a lot of pressure, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Gordon's Probably got guys. a baby at home. Yeah. He's got to like, you know, the business isn't doing good. 
and he goes home. I think what? Oh, so he goes home and he's like trying to celebrate with his wife because they got this job and you know things are going to be all right and gets this, he's going to get this bonus if they can actually finish it in a week. And like they're in the kitchen and they're being all lovey dovey and then she accidentally spills like hot boiling water on him and he's like, I hit her in the heat of the moment and he's like he's he doesn't know what set him off but he he's like yeah i hit her and then later yeah phil is telling mike what happened and he's like he's like he's becoming obviously unstable Mm -hmm. and he's like trying to convince mike that they need to bring more people in but more people means more shares of the bonus or like you know he's trying to push him out yeah and like phil now this whole thing is happening Yeah, yeah so it's like very complicated and also We've seen Gordon like sneak off a lot or go home in air quotes, mm-hmm. but it seems like he's living out of his car. Yeah. He later mentions like a, you know, a, a, an inn he stays at or whatever. And so I think also we're kind of like, he says he just hit her, but like, not that that would ever be okay to hit someone, but you know how like when someone does something really bad and they admit it to you, but they kind of give you the best version of it. Exactly. I think, you know, Phil is like, I feel like you know way more is happening than what he's revealing because that doesn't you know having hot water spilling on you and you reacting Mm -hmm. uh, you know just reacting in the moment doesn't sound that bad like you know it's like if somebody like i don't know like dropped something on my head and then i bat it away it's like i'm not trying to be violent it's just you reacted yeah but he's so broken up about it that it doesn't seem like that's all that happened yeah Yeah. and so he's kind of like Oh, and like he keeps having like these, like something in his pants, uh, and we don't know what that's about. I mm-hmm. guess the burn from the, the water. Yeah, he hasn't like, like treated. He, just... he hasn't treated it or anything. It's just like festering, I guess. But he hasn't done anything to it. It's like, okay, well, why wouldn't you? Like, is why would he be punishing himself with this painful thing? You know, just... Right. And so it's like, mm, okay, something's going on there. But yeah, it's like pretty much by this point of the movie, it's there's a lot of secrets being kept you know yeah like Mike at, listening to the tapes and then yeah it's like all of it at a certain point like even like phil is like my or gordon sees phil talking to these two kids and he's like well what the well not kids but like you know yeah. younger younger men and he's like well what the hell is this about and so he like questions him about that and like phil doesn't really give him a straight answer he's just like you know oh well they were like doing graffiti or whatever and i kind of like talked to them to try and get them to you know back off or whatever but like gordon doesn't believe that and then hank is missing and so it's like okay what really happened (laughs) (laughs) and so oh my gosh it's so good like (laughs) i'm sitting here like just like thinking about it but like at a certain point after you know they after jeff says that he sees hank and they don't see him and then like gordon is popping off at phil like that moment where like basically Gordon is asking Phil to give him his phone so he can hit the redial button to make sure that he called Amy like he said he did but Phil's like no I don't need to do that and it's like bro why wouldn't you not just give him the phone (laughs) yeah it's like you obviously didn't talk to her then (laughs) like why are you making this more difficult than it needs to be and so like it like you know Gordon is just like pissed. He's like, "Give me the fucking phone!" And then they hear footsteps over the head, uh, like just running footsteps over their heads. And it's like, "What the hell, <laughs> bro? What?" And so like they're all like trying to figure out what's. what's they split up. 
But when they split up, Mike is like so determined to go listen to these tapes that he leaves Jeff on his own. And he's like goes down to listen to the tapes. And so Jeff is um, in the tunnels looking and at some point the generator goes down and so Jeff is in this dark tunnel and it's revealed earlier in the movie that Jeff has nyctophobia, which is an irrational fear of the darkness. And so Jeff is like freaking out. The lights are going off down in the tunnel. He's running and like the lights are like flipping off one after another behind him. And he's just like hauling ass trying to get it's out. It's a of really there. cool scene. Like so well-timed. It feels real. Like you could outrun these lights, you know, before mm-hmm. they go out. Mm-hmm. And like, there's another shot where it cuts back to him and he's found like this tiny little spot of light and he's like struggling for air trying to be in the light and finally he gets out and he's shaken and he's like you know out by his uncle gordon's van and he's like trying to calm himself down he he, there's like oreos or something in the van and like it cuts to a shot where you see somebody you're in the perspective of this person who's approaching jeff you don't know who it is right and they're like you know you can assume that it's gordon but you don't really know that it is and he's like you know trying to hit you know be like hey i freaked out and i had to get out of there and then again the screen cuts off and you don't know what happens to jeff and it's like ooh, okay what's 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 going on here like obviously there was some sort of recognition in this person that was approaching jeff so was it phil yeah it's like he trusted whoever was coming towards him mm-hmm. yeah oh, and then like so let me talk about these tapes, all right? We've been talking about oh these tapes. Oh my god, tape. I can't wait to talk about these tapes. <laughs> so we've been talking about these tapes. Like my favorite. Like, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so, okay. In the, like, very first few... Uh, well, actually, I guess it's, like, the first time that they're actually in the um, asylum, like, starting to break up the asbestos, Mike finds the tapes... And these tapes are of, there's there are nine sessions, hence session nine, of um, a, a woman named Mary and her doctor having, like, you know, just trying to bring back her memory of why she's in this asylum, mm-hmm. essentially. And Mary's definitely um, got dissociative disorder, or DID um, I guess they would call it like multiple personality disorder back then, but um, yeah. she's, she's, she suffers from DID. Well, I don't know if I would say suffers from, but you know, she has DID. And right. during these sessions, we hear from Billy, who is kind of like a protector um, personality. And then the princess, who's like, you know, more carefree and just wants to, you know, have fun and doesn't really isn't really concerned about you know the ugliness that's happened and this whole time during these sessions the doctor is trying to get somebody to bring simon out and we don't really know who simon is at first and billy is adamant adamant about not waking simon up because he does not want to bring the memory that simon has of what happened back up in mary's mind yeah, they keep saying they have to protect her. She's a good girl. Yeah. So, you know, it feels like you're misled, 
pretty much the whole movie because I think there's a general understanding, even though this is not to say that this movie is like medically accurate, <laughs> but I think people now have sort of a general understanding that when people have this disorder that, you know, something traumatic happens and one way of your mind dealing with it is to create these sort of personalities that um, experience things almost like for you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's something that really happens and it's out of trauma. And so I think for a lot of the movie, we're wondering if maybe, you know, something happened to her like that. And I think even Mike tells a story later mm-hmm. about Mary Hobbs. Well, what um, he, he, he tells. So, OK, it's not, it's okay, not yeah, about sorry, me. you it's were not... kind of in the middle of the tapes. Go. go yeah, no, go, no, no. no the tapes. <laughs> so that, what, what Mike is talking about. Like they're they're trying to figure out like well why did a place like this get shut down and that's right yeah Mike tells this whole story about this phenomenon in the eighties which actually did happen yeah it and did. it's um like he tells this gruesome story about like this girl who went to her psychiatrist and told stories about like you know cult activity and like just all of this vile satanic stuff and later it comes out that none of that happened right and it's like wait what and it was because of the methods that they were using to quote unquote bring back these memories the hypnotism or the drug-induced hypnotism that they were using to bring up these memories they were implanted memories they were false memories yeah and and a bunch of people like in the 80s i'm sure you guys know like went to jail there were trials Mm -hmm. and it was all like it was None all fake. of it happened. Yeah, it was all fake. Yeah, and so, so they're alluding yeah. to that. Yeah, that's right. And so he does talk about that, and then like once he's done with that, he goes back to the tapes, and he's listening, and he's like, you know, trying to get more of the story. And apparently, in Lowell, where this woman Mary used to live when she was younger. You know, it was Christmas time, and her brother got like this big knife for Christmas. Which, why did we do that back in the day? <laughs> like, why are we giving children knives as presents? Um, and then, you know, Mary got a china doll, and her brother scares her in the dark, and she falls and she cuts herself up. And like, it's like, you know, we only hear part of the story in the earlier sessions. And yeah, it's not... so we kind of assume that she was, like, in an abusive situation, possibly mm-hmm. from her brother. And I think because we heard about that cult thing earlier, we keep thinking, okay, you know, maybe she was, you know, assaulted uh, by her brother or something like that. And it's like, I think that fooled mm-hmm. me for most of the movie, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, like, it, you didn't, you again, you only had part of the story, so you didn't yeah. know, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. And so all of this you know culminates in session nine and finally the doctor is able to get simon to come out and simon is not necessarily a personality that is it's like not of mary because all the other voices sound like like Mary. mary but but mary doing an impression of a little girl mary and doing an impression of a little boy and then we hear Simon. And Simon is a whole other thing. Simon sounds almost demonic, I want to say. Yeah, he sounds male, first of all. Mm-hmm. Whereas her other male voices sounded like her doing an impression. 
but this sounds distinctly masculine to where it doesn't sound like she could make that voice. Yeah. But then it's super duper creepy. It's- and like you said, it sounds inhuman at the mm-hmm. very least, like an entity or something. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor knows that Simon knows the whole story. And so he asks Simon what happened and he gets to the point where, you know, Mary's fallen on her doll and she's all cut up and she's, you know, screaming and Simon is there in her, in her mind telling her, you know, he cut you up. So you got to cut him up too. do it. Mary is specifically what he says. So she literally takes her brother's knife and stabs him to death. And then Simon is there saying like, well, you already killed your brother. You might as well kill your parents too, essentially, because, you know, they were the ones who, you know, gave you the doll and they were the ones who made your brother essentially. So why don't you get them too? And so she stabs her parents to death. And it's bonkers, like to hear this, this voice, this identity in her that made her kill her family. Yeah, and we've seen, too, like, we've heard how distraught Mary is every time the doctor tries to even hint at what happened. She's defensive. She starts panicking. um, And then these voices sort of, you know, tell some parts of the story. But every time you start to get to the truth, that's when every personality really struggles and kind of breaks down. Like, Billy shuts it down. Yeah. Billy shuts it down every time the princess just goes to sleep. That's right. You're right. Yeah. And also we saw these horrific scars on Mary's chest uh, from pictures that are like in her file Mm -hmm. earlier in the movie too. So we have that in our mind. We know like the stab wounds are really scary. And again, Mm -hmm. I think that's why we just assume that, you know, it must have been her brother. But now at the end, it's sort of revealed that she's the one doing all this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that voice is just so cold and it's obviously like taking pleasure in the violence even knowing that mary doesn't enjoy it or no he i think he says like mary wanted to do it too like it it was in her mind and like basically gordon kind of just pushed her to do it simon or yeah but, i'm sorry simon. yeah but we'll see to say that, yeah the reason why i said gordon <laughs> yeah this voice that you hear of simon you've already heard this voice this voice of Simon you hear at the very beginning when Gordon is alone in that dark hallway and someone calls out to him and says, hello, Gordon. It's the same, it's the same voice that you hear mm-hmm. come from Mary that says, hello, doc. And it's like, oh my God, is like, oh man. It, <laughs> yeah, you, at first you're like, okay, wait, maybe he's Mary. Like you're confused as to like what the connection is at first. Right. And like, it culminates in this moment at the very end. And like, let me back up a little bit because previously the doctor is asking um, Billy where the princess lives in like within Mary and the princess lives in Mary's tongue. And the doctor's like, well, why? And it's like, cause she's always talking. <laughs> and then he asks Billy where he lives and Billy's like, I live in the eyes cause he sees everything. And now Simon is here. And again, this is the very end where you finally put the pieces mostly together. And the doctor asks Simon where he lives. 
And Simon says that he lives in the weak and the wounded. Yeah. And it's one of those moments where it's like, so every person potentially could have their own Simon living in them. Yeah. Basically what's happened to Gordon. Well, and they, there's also like hints. I feel like earlier in the movie, they talk about the princess and then Hank accidentally calls Jeff princess. Mike calls right. Hank. Mike, Mike calls it that. Right. Because he was listening to the tapes. But yeah. in your mind, you're like, you know what? Jeff is kind of like the princess mm-hmm. of this crew. And you're starting to think like, maybe this crew is in someone's mind. Yeah. Right. And right. then like, when you, you know, hear you about Mary, question, you start to question if they're actually real. Right. Because there's a lot of weird things about it. Um, mm-hmm. They're all alone. Um, we heard earlier that in the 80s, they let a lot of these people go and they just didn't have anywhere to go, which mm-hmm. is true. I mean, we talk about in real life about yeah. how there's not enough funding uh, for people with mental health problems. Um, and so, you know, in this instance, like all these people were just kind of released and just mm-hmm. who knows where they went. Right. They just kind of, like, so got dumped out on the street and like, you know, happy trails, hope you don't make bad decisions or whatever. Like, yeah, like there was no help for them. Right. So, so potentially one of these guys was quote unquote, let go. Um, and we've seen all of them act in ways that are kind of erratic, like Mike with the, you know, lobotomy pick to Jeff and then, you know, Phil and Hank acting, you know, kind of unstable. And then Mike, especially. Um, so now we're kind of at this, I think at the end, I was like, are they all Mary? You know, like I, yeah. I was still kind of having like, trouble, like, are all putting of these it guys, are all of these guys just like personalities in Gordon's head? Yeah. Or at least, and then like at a certain point, you're like, well, okay, so definitely Phil is right. Because Gordon has this like dissociated moment where Phil is talking to him on like the walkie talkie and he discovers Hank's body like wrapped up in a sheet with the, the lobotomy pipette still in his face. And he's like, we found the one who's responsible. And you know gordon is there talking to phil and like gordon's like phil did you do this and then phil is just gone like yeah he just disappears gone and then this other guy that they called in like to replace hank like shows up and is like what the the hell is going on here and gordon just like totally just lays him out he 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 takes it's so brutal he takes the pipette out of hank's face and then stabs the guy again in the face with the lobotomy pipette and it's like holy shit <laughs> like gordon is like no longer in the building at this point and um it's whoever simon is to gordon that's in control right and so you kind of have to wonder like hey or sorry you kind of have to wonder gordon being in that building was gordon there before did gordon used to be a patient there because it yeah, because in the very end, he goes back into that room and he sees all those pictures. Mm-hmm. And, and the pictures look like David Caruso. Mm-hmm. So the Phil character is like him from like 20 years ago, I think, back mm-hmm. when he killed his wife and kid. Right, like you you have this like realization, it's like, okay, when did this happen? Like it's so... Yeah, Ooh. it's like what time are we in? Because, yeah, because he, he keeps remembering the thing about his wife. And I think for a while we think he's like 
driving to where his wife and kid live currently but he's like not allowed in but -hmm. then by the end we find out okay so like some of what he said was true the boiling water spilled all over him and when that happened he went into this like psychotic rage and kills his wife and his baby and the dog oh yeah and the dog and i think the theory is that when people are in that worst possible vulnerable moment of just being in agony that they could potentially either do these things or you could also interpret it as Simon is this entity that can't wait to get in you when you yeah. have that vulnerable moment and you're exactly. like, come on in and help me do this. Because like he says, he lives in the weak and the wounded. And, and, yeah, and he's like, they welcome point, me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at that particular point, I mean, Gordon was at his wit's end. He didn't, he was like, you know, business was almost going under. He was under so much pressure to get the job done in a ridiculously short amount of time. And then, like, one thing just set him off. And he, he just lost control of himself. And Simon took over. And it's so, it gives me chills even now. Just I know, it's scary. It. I was like, scared. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've seen it so many times and I don't. You know, I was telling Nick, like, I don't really believe that. Like, I think when something terrible like that happens, um, usually there's, like, a pattern of behavior. And they're like, oh, well, they threatened me a bunch of times, blah, blah, blah. Then they did it. But this theory of, I think what's so disturbing about it is that what's implied is that Mike was, like, a good person um, who was under a lot of stress. And then when he's covered in this boiling water and he's in pure agony. You mean Gordon. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they're all Gordon. Okay. <laughs> I just said the wrong name, but I can sort of justify. No, but um, when the entity gets inside him, it's like, you know, what choice would anyone make in that sen- in that instance where they're in so much pain? Mm-hmm. And you don't know what they're going to do, what this voice is going to do necessarily. Yeah, it's like um, almost saying it, it says based it, what it to me anyway is saying. Yeah, is that I, yeah. Basically, anyone at any point in time could have whatever situation happened to them that they wake up their own Simon. Yeah. I like that interpretation. Yeah. And and so, you know, it's a fleeting moment where he does all this and then it's just, it's forever after that point. Mm-hmm. And he obviously feels horrible about it. It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't something he wanted to do or to have happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, or at least what I got from it was that, yeah, he was at this hospital for a long time. That's why he knows so much about it. That's why mm-hmm. Mike knew so much about it because he did. And then they let them all go. And then he was drawn back to mm-hmm. like, I, I guess, do another job there. And maybe he offered to do this job by himself. And then he fabricated or imagined all the other guys that were yeah. with him. And then once they're all gone and he's alone in that room and he's using that phone, which is kind of like the phone we saw earlier that, you know, supposedly Phil was talking to Hank's girlfriend on. It's kind of like a similar parallel thing where he's like holding this broken phone and there's it obviously isn't working and he's talking, quote unquote, to his wife. And like you see Gordon on the phone with his wife. Like the whole time, like after after the incident happens, because like at the very beginning, you kind of like sort of get a piece of it, but you don't really know what happens. But like the whole time after that, you see Gordon sneaking off to like call his wife and like apologize. And like, you know, it's like we need to talk and she won't talk to him. 
but there's nobody there to talk to. He's not talking to anyone. And like earlier in the movie when he drove to that house, he I guess he was just driving to his old house. No one's there anymore. He's just sitting in the rain looking at it, like yeah. wishing she was still alive. And yeah, and then the very end he's like, I would just want to go home. Yeah. And there's something like so disturbing about that because if he was in this asylum before and he was trapped in there for years and then he got out and he comes back to that same cell essentially yeah. and he is replaying the same note i want to go back home uh just all of it yeah. is so creepy it's like, <laughs> like after it was over i was like looking around it's <laughs> like, gonna get me like <laughs> it's so creepy yeah like it's, it's, it's hard to make me feel sorry for somebody that did something bad, but they did such a good job with Mary, mm -hmm. like making that scenario, especially since she's like a little girl when it happens. Mm -hmm. That I, I think that sort of planted in my mind the possibility that that could happen with Gordon too, mm -hmm. you know? Yep, or anybody. And plus, like the idea of like listening to old creepy tapes is like very frightening to me and also something i want to do <laughs> i know, I know. What you, okay no hold I on feel guilty about this <laughs> i do but i know what you're gonna say feel this way it's like i want to go to like an abandoned building that's scary and yeah. be there but i, I also be don't like one do of those that. i want to be like one of those dumb youtubers <laughs> yeah. going in places where they have no damn business being not like not like the paul brothers because those are terrible human beings but you know like the ones where they're doing like exploration and like abandoned buildings where they probably don't have permission to be up in there like i don't know i have <laughs> this like and i know i shouldn't want to i know i shouldn't want to <laughs> because people were there and they really did hurt and you know they had problems and it's a terrible thing to have happened but at the same time i kind of just want to go there and like see what i can find and like i okay I'm 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 gonna I mean, I'm gonna put it flat on the table. Different from anybody else, to be <laughs> honest with you. I mean, this is like a big industry of people that want to do this. Yeah. I don't think so, you should feel too bad. Cards on the table. I have like this super old camcorder, and I want to take it with me. Like, if I ever get the opportunity to do this, I want to take it with me and like see what I can see because I am a strong believer of and you can laugh at me if you want to everybody that's fine but I'm a strong believer that um like film like actual film catches like entities or energy that's like you know residual better than like a digital camera would so I kind of mm -hmm. want to go out there and like you know just see what I can see see what I capture I know not everybody it? believes in it and that's Electronic fine voice don't recordings? make fun of me <laughs> So that's um EVPs are when you you get like yeah you use like a, a recorder. Um, but yeah, e EVPs are when you like. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, EVPs are when you get like the the recordings on like a tape recorder of like the voices and stuff, and then like just like you know, there's also like spirit photography and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think it would be an interesting thing. I know it's not like the most respectful thing to do and i don't want to be disrespectful <laughs> but at the same time i don't know i guess my curiosity just gets the better of me and i just want to go in there and poke around <laughs> i mean i think the the idea that there's some things that we could record or see or know about that we don't currently 
is what you're most interested in. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not like you're like, I want to, you know, desecrate a sacred area or something. Yeah. It's more about exploration, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not like out there like trying to listen to somebody's psychiatric tapes as like a form of an Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. It's just like one of those things where it's like, okay, but what could we find? I am just curious to know what's out there. I just want right. to see what I can find, you know? And I think like, you know, the electronic voice recordings, th- that's different mm-hmm. than listening to someone's private, you know, tapes. So mm-hmm. I think that's pretty different. Um, the ghost! <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those things where if I'm totally honest, like I don't believe it. But how do I explain that I still want to do it? Yeah, because you're curious. It's a curiosity. Yeah, it's like, I'm not saying it's real, but I'm saying there's stuff I don't know, you yeah. know? Yeah. Maybe you put it that way. And There's it's some like, shiz out there that you can't explain, and you kind of just want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, and I think just, I, I think, too, I was, like, raised so, I mean, that stuff was, like, a possibility, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, even if like when I get older, I'm like, well, I don't know, like a lot of what I think about that stuff has changed. <laughs> There's some stuff about your roots you just can't yeah. erase. Yeah. And I feel like I came from pretty, you know, superstitious peeps. <laughs> <laughs> and so like as far away as I think I can get from that, I still have that There's a belief pull. in like, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So <sighs> I would love to like... I. There was a time where I spent a lot of time looking at going to like old hotels and and like renting the equipment. Like some hotels like have people that can like come out and like hang out with you all night with all that stuff and like record stuff. Yeah, (laughs) yes. And I wanted to do that so bad. I mean, there's nothing certain that we can't once once everything is once all of this craziness is done. Yeah. That we can't do that. I'm like I'm still interested. <laughs> throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, I mean And I'll fully admit, um, I agree that this kind of stuff is is somewhat of a trope. I'm like a sucker for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think because it's I so- find like things that I find the most upsetting are what I sort of end up wanting to see sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I think I, as a kid, for for whatever reason, as though I was a weird kid, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I explained this before, but my dad uh, was like a counselor, so he had all these books about like addiction and you know um, psychological stuff and. I read some of that. Like, I didn't ask him. I would just take the books and read them. And then mm-hmm. I would just scare the hell out of myself. <laughs> I because mean. Because I was like, oh, I had the epiphany of like, oh, um, and, you know, as an adult, I understand this concept a lot better. But I'm like, you know, somebody that's struggling with something is just like me. Therefore, that could be me. But then the way that I interpreted that as a kid is like, any moment now, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. snap. I and mean, then, it's, yeah. It's, it's definitely. It's definitely you know human to be curious about the human condition and like wonder about those things for yourself because it's like you know if you're a kid and you're reading this stuff and you don't have any real context then yeah of course you're gonna be fascinated by it in the sense that it's like oh is this gonna happen to me but then like as you get older it just becomes one of those things that you know you want to I don't want to say like dissect it but like try to understand it more so that you can you know, try to be closer connected with, you know, your fellow humans. Yeah. And understand like the, how 
understand how you could, you know, understand the people who do struggle with that. Like, you know, I want to know what it is that, I, at least for me, I want to know, like, you know, what are their struggles and how can I, as a person, you know, be more sensitive to stuff like that? Yeah, I think as a kid, I was afraid of losing um, my understanding or, you know, sometimes they call it grip on reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's how we on the outside of somebody seeing somebody struggle, you know, that's what we see. We're like, oh, that's sad. They have no idea, you know. Yeah. And it's this really limited um in a box understanding of what that person is actually experiencing and it's really just stigmatizing them and downplaying what they're going through and I think in like some little weird part of my kid brain I was like oh if I'm struggling people aren't going to be able to help me or you know that was my Mm -hmm. fear Mm -hmm. and now that I'm older I'm like oh you know uh we can help other people, but we have to stop viewing it that way. Yeah, it has to stop um, being like a problem and being just like, you know, okay, how do we help manage this for you? How do we help, you know, you have the best life that you can have without having to always struggle with this, I guess. Right. And of course, in this movie, it's fiction and, you know, it's not here to answer those questions, really. It's more of a horror movie, and it's more straightforward than that. But I think because it even dances anywhere close to some of those questions is why I'm so interested in it. And Mm -hmm. I think it just did a really good job of planting little clues, giving you just enough, and then once you get the full picture, you kind of automatically want to go, oh, Oh. well, now I want to go back and watch it from the beginning. So I can get all those little clues so I can see the end result. I don't walk away from it thinking like, now I understand what people go through because it's like such a fictionalized version of that. But but it's a mystery. And that's what the fun part of the movie is. Like I said, I I watched it the whole day (laughs) after I watched it the first time just to be like, oh shit, what did I miss? Let me go back and like try and figure out what it is that I I didn't pick up on. Because it was was very well done. Very, very veiled. Yeah. And And visually, like, there's a lot of really great shots that are just beautiful. Oh, man. That that opening shot of the camera, like, it's upside down and it slowly turns itself around. It's just that shot of that empty hallway. It's fixated on, like, a wheelchair, which I know is kind of cliche, but it was (laughs) so nicely done. It's the slow rotation of the the camera on this, this one hallway and it brings up the title card and it is so good it's uh that's like one of my favorite shots in this in this whole movie yeah and like how every single little piece of anything ends up coming into play the coins um also jeff eating the oreos and then later we find out like when gordon was going home to his wife he had groceries and there's oreos there Mm -hmm. like there's all these little things that are like product placement but also glues yeah. Um, as to what's gonna happen yeah and, so in case he didn't pick yeah. up uh gordon just straight up murdered everybody <laughs> yeah he he has like this this break and he just starts offing everybody he killed hank in the tunnels and I, I i can't remember why but i think he thought that hank was like going there to like undermine him in a way and so he went down there and he found him and he killed him with the lobotomy pipette and then later he kills 
Jeff outside and then he kills Phil somehow and then Mike too. And it's just like, there's just bodies all over this building. And then the very last like end is like him, like talking, he's like got these photos on the wall and he's talking on this busted phone, talking to Wendy, begging to come home. And it's just like, Oh, tingly. Yeah. And you're kind of like, okay, well who was real and who wasn't like, I guess I've sort of decided on like none of those people were there. They were like all versions of him. Well, what and then think? my in in my mind, I do think that they were real people. But at the same time, only the only reason why I say that is because at the very beginning, well, because how would yeah they could have interacted with Phil? Yeah, yeah. And I almost felt like, <laughs> the, like Mike listening to the tapes was really him. At some point, he listened to the tapes and. I don't know. It was like, yeah, it's like murky at the end. Yeah, but he was is. real or not? I, I guess, <laughs> to my mind, everybody possibly could have been real except for maybe Phil. But then Phil did talk to the caretaker at the beginning, so I don't know. It's kind of blurry. But at yeah. the same time, it was like a Tyler Durden thing. Yeah. At, at the same time, my mind kind of wanders to, well, when did he actually kill everybody? Like, did he... Oh, I think you're right. Like, did he kill them immediately? Or did he like, actually, like, wait it out and, like, have that moment? Or did he, like, just X everybody that same day and then has been, like, just talking to corpses the whole time? Yeah, did David Caruso version of him kill everybody? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. after he was let out of the asylum... Did he come back as a young younger man with a team and he killed them years ago and then he's just been like living in this house till mm-hmm. he got old? Maybe. Don't know. Yeah, because Jeff, um, and I thought this watching this this time too, like it takes place in 2001, but Jeff looks like he's from like the 80s. Yeah, he's got a mullet. <laughs> in the timeline of when he would have killed his wife in the 80s. Yeah, but then Mike talked about the 80s. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 <laughs> it is. It's, 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 like, it seems like it should be pretty cut and dry, but then you start to think about stuff. It's like, well, is it, though? Ooh, but and yeah. I'm looking at that picture on his wall that says the night people. Mm-hmm. And that could be them of the people in the coffins. Yeah, it's 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 there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot happening. There's a lot going. Yeah, there's a lot of like layers, and you can go back and like see more little details in the scenes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, okay, maybe maybe what I'm saying is a stretch. Maybe it was just as straightforward as it possibly could have been, and you know, maybe it was. But like, you know, it's one of those things. I think it's more fun to theorize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't have to be one specific answer. Yeah, I think it's intentionally open ended. For sure. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the picture of Mary when we finally find out who Simon is. Mm -hmm. And then you see, like, her face and that weird smile. And she's like, all her scars. She's so, like, just, like, it doesn't look like she's there. Like, you know what I mean? It looks like another personality. Mm Mm-hmm. Like physically, because we've heard her voice so often, and it's so meek and scared. But then we see this person that looks intimidating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's. Great. I don't know. It's just creepy. It's unsettling. <laughs> it's unsettling. <laughs> Which yeah. is why I like this movie so much way. because I don't like. I, I know I keep saying this, but like a lot of horror movies that come out these days don't really like unsettle me. But this one definitely yeah. did. 
Yeah, a lot of times they're like a little too straightforward. Mm-hmm. Or cheesy. Oh, there's exceptions, of course, but yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, do you have any other scenes that we haven't mentioned yet? I don't think so. I mean, it's a brief movie, so. Ooh, I should have read this article. It says, <laughs> maybe I'll post about it. it. Says how Session Nine explores the horrors of toxic masculinity. Oh yeah. Interesting. Although mm. the original person was a girl, but I don't know. We'll see. I'll I'll read this later and yeah, yeah. make my own conclusion. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess that brings us to our last couple of questions. Uh, number one, uh, I guess you you've already explained this really, but why do you think you've seen this movie so many times? Because it was so different from the other like other movies set in like insane asylums or like just asylums period like like i think like one that i can say was like you know that stereotypical trope of it was like grave encounters which don't get me wrong i love that movie too but (laughs) i know what you mean though but this one was like so outside of that because again it wasn't about like necessarily about the entities that existed within the asylum itself but the entities that exist within the human beings there yeah i think you know i'm easy to please in the sense of this type of horror if it's psychological if it's dark if it's a haunted place that becomes like a metaphor for like us being haunted by our past somehow (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of movie that I like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff tons of... Kind oh, go of ahead. Put, it's kind of like stuff that you can put yourself into. Exactly. Yeah, like this concept of somebody that was pretty good that, you know, quote-unquote, went bad and mm-hmm. they don't feel like they had control and they don't feel like it was them. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like a very scary concept, you know? So um that that means it could be any of us Mm -hmm. and so i just really like that um i'm looking at this article just saying it's like very inspired by the shining i'm like yeah um that's probably another reason why i liked it (laughs) um and it it is kind of similar to that jacob's ladder movie we were just talking about which i weirdly had never seen till now um but it shares a lot with that uh Mm -hmm. visually Mm -hmm. and uh thematically um yeah i i don't know i i also as i mentioned in that episode love um silent hill and so i think you know anything that kind of reminds me of that i'm Mm -hmm. gonna be excited about and and this is reminiscent of that absolutely Um, what what's kind of your elevator pitch for this movie oh man so if i were going to suggest this to someone i would basically tell them if you're in for a nice thriller that takes you on kind of a roller coaster ride and you don't know which way is up, this is definitely the movie that you want to see. Yeah, I would say it's not predictable. It's scary, at mm-hmm. least for me. Like, to this day, it actually does scare me. And I I can't really say that about, about a lot of movies. I think when, even when we've talked about scary movies, it's rare when I'm actually, like, unsettled and kind of afraid a little bit. But this movie scares me, mm-hmm. so that's a plus. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good mystery and I, I like the mystery in the movie of like what is this all adding up to so if you like things like that mm-hmm. i think well courtney this was fun as <laughs> always this is like our <laughs> this is on like our like list there's like a list i think that we have of like <laughs> movies we've either haven't gotten to yet or mm-hmm. that we're excited to talk about 
Um, so obviously you have to come back and we'll talk about another one. I feel like I already know what it's going to be because <laughs> uh, it's another one we've talked about talking about a lot. And I think that's hereditary. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Which I think shares some things with this one as well. Yeah. I mean, when I'm thinking about it, there's a lot about, uh, again, that theme about like mental health and grief and yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of that, except with a little side of um. Well, I don't want to say. We'll we'll talk about we'll it. We'll talk then. about it. We'll talk because <laughs> I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, um, which I don't know why you wouldn't have seen this yet because you I need know to see there's it. people that don't like that movie and it shocks me. It you know really what? Does I get it? I get why. No, <laughs> it's not I for do. Everybody, it isn't. Yeah. It, it it's one of those ones where it's like you can either be bored to tears by it, or you could be like me, where you are on the edge, literally, of the edge of your seat in the theater. I was like uncomfortable. Like it triggered my anxiety pretty bad. Like, like I definitely. Where... <laughs> yeah. When yeah. we left, I told Nick, I was like, I don't know that I liked that. I feel terrible i i like, had to lie like, down <laughs> i was like there were times in the movie that i wanted to get up and leave yeah that was how unsettled i was and he was like isn't that amazing though yeah, and I was yes. like, it took me like 24 hours to be like i did like that <laughs> but it's like one of those movies that um you know different from this one session nine i knew right away mm-hmm. the love but hereditary's it took That's me a, whole a minute. Animal, it man. took That's me a minute. I I, I yeah. will concur with that. I had to like sit with it <laughs> for a while. <laughs> but like, marinate. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, if you haven't seen Hereditary, see that, and then immediately after that, see Midsommar because it is gold. Whew. Pure gold. That was, that, that was like that's like a clear your schedule movie. Like oh, you're not doing yes. anything else today, your brain won't be able to Mm-mm. process more than that film in that day. So just Mm-mm. carve out some time. When you were saying that Hereditary is not for everyone, I feel like it's for us. Like okay. there's some people that like movies like this and and that movie as well. Like it, it's a genre. The within a genre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People that love to be disturbed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. What what other movies have we talked about like that? Like Suspiria. It's yeah. Like, I want to be genuinely on edge mm-hmm. and unsettled. Then these are the perfect films for you. But yeah, yeah. so we'll talk about that next time. Uh, one more time, Courtney. Where can people find you? Uh, if you're looking for me again, I am at Vicky Bain on Instagram. I am at under or excuse me, I'm at Victoria underscore Bain on Twitter. You can also find me on my Facebook. I don't use it as much, but I'm. Uh, Victoria Bain on the um, Facebooks as well. And uh, Facebooks. Yeah, if you are um, in need of some cosplay wig stylings, send me a little email at vickybain9 at gmail.com and uh, let me know what you want and I can get you a quote. Hooray! Well, thank you so much for coming on. Definitely check out all her social media and her awesome costumes and wigs. Um, and just uh, find her in the group with us because we chat there a lot too Mm -hmm. Um, yeah thank you so much for coming on Courtney I can't wait to have you back thank you for having me again